Amen. Why don't we do this? Why don't we do a little exercise? I want to get you on your feet because I want to pray. Come on. I want to get you on your feet. I want to pray. If you can. If you can. I just believe that God is going to speak to us this morning. I don't know about you, but I want him to speak to me this morning. Um, The title is Isms, Sophies, and Ologies. It's a strange concept, right? You probably never heard one like it, the Great Divide. We're going to talk about that a little bit this morning, but let us pray. Bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you so much for this moment. We need you. We need you. We need you to speak to us this morning. Father, speak into our lives this morning. Father, speak into my heart. Speak into my mind. Speak into my soul. Father, speak into our lives this morning. Help us to understand what is this concept about. What is it you have to say to us this morning through your word? And then, Lord, how do we apply it to our lives? What does that look like? We look to you this morning, Father God, for wisdom. And we look to you this morning for the understanding that we need. Because in the end, we'll be, we'll be that much better as your children, following you, living for you, honoring you, representing you this side of heaven, devoting our lives to you completely in spirit and in truth. Father, we thank you for this time. These things we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people say... Amen. You may be seated. So this morning, the title of our message is Isms, Sophies, and Ologies. I was just as surprised as you are when God inspired me with this one particular title. Can you turn me down just a little bit, Dave? Just a little bit. So I was just as surprised as you are this morning. And initially, it didn't make sense. Until I began to think about the rift, or the schism, or the chasm, if you will, that exists in society today. Take a look at this image, if you will. There's a split in between. And I know it doesn't take rocket science for you and I to understand, in a sense, what that actually represents. When you think in terms of society and the way that it is, the way that society is divided... Along many fronts, there are many divisions, many schisms, if you will, that exist in society today. And let me submit to you that that, those divisions do not only exist in society, at least in the unbelieving world, it exists in the church as well. Because I dare say this morning that our churches are perhaps equally as divided. But what does it mean? What is this particular title referring to. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, if you will, to First Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy chapter 4. And I believe I'm, I'll be reading to you from the New Living Translation. I'm not sure I forget. I have so many different ones. First Timothy chapter 4. Ism, Sophies, and Ologies, the Great Divide. What does God have to say to us this morning about the division that exists in society today? And what can we, as God's people, do about it? What can we, or what must we, as God's people, do about it? I'm waiting for you. I still hear the pages turning. <coughs> First Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And the Bible reads as follows. Excuse me. But the Spirit explicitly says that in the later times, or in the last days, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. By means of hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God, which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. 
for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. But have nothing to do with worldly fables, fit only for old women. I don't know why they put that in there like that. It just makes no sense. Men are, men are equally blabbers. That, that's a shame. That's a shame. It says, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. And then that final admonition in this passage, that last verse, Paul the Apostle, inspired by the Holy Ghost, he concludes this section of Scripture to young Timothy by saying, prescribe and teach these things. He says, prescribe and teach these things. This is a, another message in the sermon series that we started a few weeks back, and it's under the importance of the Word of God. And let me, let me just ask by a show of hands, how many in this church here this morning realize that the Word of God is extremely important in our lives? Let me see your hands. The Word of God is extremely important. There are a lot of manuals, a lot of instruction manuals, a lot of voices, a lot of standards that exist in society today this side of heaven. But there's absolutely no manual, no book more important in our lives as God's people than the Bible itself. There's absolutely none. It's the means by which God has decided to revolutionize mankind. There's no volume like the Word of God. There is no scripture, no passage, no holy book more important than the Holy Bible, and you and I are privileged to have it in our possession today. Amen, somebody. How many know that there are societies, there are communities in this world that, do, that are not allowed, that the, the legal institutions do not allow for the possession of the Word of God? Volatile nations, mostly in the Middle East, but not only in the Middle East. you got places like communist regions. you got Cuba, for example, that you cannot be caught in society, in open society with a Bible. And yet you and I today, in this society, we are privileged to have the Word of God in our possession. I want to talk a little bit about this title, especially the part that actually reads The Great Divide, because I want you to understand what I mean by that. The Great Divide, it is a reference to the spiritual and philosophical distinctions that exist between us all in spite of the fact that we have with us the Word of God. On the one hand, we have the gospel truth, which is absolute in its nature. I love the Bible because it is, in fact, absolute. It possesses a, a, a characteristic, if you will. How many are acquainted with Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12? It says, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God is active and alive, another version reads. It's active and alive. Somebody once said that the Bible possesses, it inherently possesses life. A life of its own. And we know that to be true because Jesus Christ was and is and always shall be the Word of the Almighty Living God. And so when we get the Word of God on the inside of us, it possesses this capacity to, to resolve. It possesses this capacity to alter, to reformulate, to rejuvenate, to restructure. So on the one hand, we have the, the gospel truth, but on the other hand, we have non-religious ideologies or 
philosophies. They exist in society today. But this message today is about a trend that is happening. A trend that is taking place in society today. It's a trend that is evident in these last days. When Jesus preached the gospel, for example, which I absolutely love. How many love reading the gospels? How many love reading, especially that, that the, the red print Bibles where, where we can actually... Now, listen. The entirety of the Bible was breathed and inspired by Jesus Christ himself, right? <clears throat> First Corinthians, I mean, First Timothy 3.16. For all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So, so I don't necessarily take my red letter edition Bible and think that only the red words are inspired by Jesus. No, that's not me. I think all of it, the entirety. But when I read the Gospels and I see those red words, it, for me personally, there's an added emphasis because I get to hear the heart of Jesus, the heart of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and I don't know about you, but it does something to me when I read the Holy Scriptures. Does it inspire you? When Jesus preached the gospel, it was pure. And there was a distinction between it and everything else that existed in society at that known time. You do know that, right? When Jesus came on the scene and he came to preach the gospel, uh, for the most part, he was rejected by men because he was preaching a message that was contrary to everything they had been used to up until that point. And yet Jesus knew that he had words of life, words that if received, words that if embraced, possessed the power and the capacity to transform Everybody in society back then, just like it has for you and I here today as well. It possesses life. So when he preached the word of God, it was, it was pure. And everybody who accepted the word of God was, was transformed. Their lives were transformed as a result. But guess what? It didn't take long before a compromise began to take place. And a merger, if you will, between both worldviews began to take place. We had the worldview as presented to us by Jesus Christ himself. The unadulterated word of God. He was introduced by John the Baptist. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And from that point on, Jesus began to proclaim, to declare a message, a word that was actually transforming the lives of those who received it. But not everybody received the gospel of Jesus Christ. There were those on the, other on the other extreme. But many who actually received the word of God, in time, began to compromise the word. We find a particular passage in the book of Acts, chapter 17. You don't have to turn there. <clears throat> I'm going to read a verse to you. And this is a passage where Paul the Apostle, he admonishes the philosophers of his day. The philosophers of Athens for their compromise. Verse, 30, verse 23, Acts 17, reads as follows. As I passed through and observed your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. And in our passage today, Paul is admonishing or encouraging young Timothy to consider that one day, very soon, there would be a full-blown loss of faith, or at least an expression, an extreme measure of a loss of faith in society today. And that is the point. Today, in the society that you and I are acquainted with, there is indeed a falling away from the faith. Mankind, for whatever reason, is not solely satisfied with the principles of the Word of God. We are not entirely comforted nowadays with truth found only in the Word of God. Society today is almost completely made up of, or should I say, we have this attitude that we should take the truth of the Word of God... And then add some things to it, as if the Word of God is not, is not complete in and of itself. There's a compromise that is taking place. 
That's what Paul the Apostle was getting across to young Timothy in this one particular chapter. Now, I am not addressing the issue of salvation here today. That is something we can probably take on on a different day, a different sermon. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fusion, if you will, that is taking place in our hearts today as a society. The, the, the fusion, the merger between the worldviews that exist in society today. How many know there are lots of voices in the world today? There are lots of voices, and I know exactly, I know that you know exactly what I'm talking about. There are lots of ideologies that you and I are influenced by. And somehow, some way, as God's people, if you and I are not careful, we will absorb or embrace some of these philosophies or ideologies. And in turn, we end up compromising the Word of God within us. Someone once made a statement that blew me away. And I may have shared this this morning in our prayer session together. Society today, in terms of Christendom, that is, in terms of Christianity and the church, did you know that it's probably true that today we know more about God We know more today about the Word of God than any generation that preceded this one generation. Is that true? Perhaps? I think it's true. I think you and I represent a culture, a generation that knows more about God today than any generation that preceded us. And yet, perhaps it's equally true that this is perhaps the generation that least lives it out. Now, I'm not talking about this one particular church. I'm not talking about any church in particular, for that matter. I'm talking about the reality that's taking place in West, especially in this Western culture of Christendom today. There's a merger that has taken place in the church where we have adopted philosophies from this world. And again, I'm not talking about this one church. But I think it's important to say, because what I'm sharing with you here today was equally true. It's actually more true for you and I. It's more fitting for you and I to embrace what this one particular passage has to say than it was for Paul the Apostle or young Timothy when they were alive. The Holy Spirit today is seeking to encourage us with similar principles. We've got to look at some of these things because it's important. Now, why is it that this trend exists in our individual lives and in society today. This trend where we are adopting the philosophies or the ideologies of this world and somehow, and somehow introducing them into the church. Why is it that this stuff happens? Look at verse 1 in your text, please. First, Tim, First Timothy 4, verse 1. Why is it that there is, in fact, a falling away from the faith. Verse 1 reads, at least in part, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Not everything that we hear in society today is inspired by the Word of God. Not every book we pick up has material within its pages inspired by the Word of God. Not every program that we view on television, not every song that we listen to, not every conversation that we have with our friends or family members is inspired by God. And the message is clear. As God's people, especially in this season, in these last days, Paul the Apostle said to young Timothy, the Spirit speaks explicitly that in the last days some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. We don't like to hear this sort of thing in our churches nowadays. And yet we are the generation that is in fact being swept away by the voices of this world. We hear that when we... When we, when we speak in terms of worldly wisdom, we, we are acquainted with the language, with the rhetoric. But what does it look like to actually consider the specifics of, 
of worldly wisdom. What, what does the Bible actually refer to when it uses terms like that? In James chapter 2, for example, there's a distinction between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of this world. And we read passages like that and we say, yes, and we understand it clearly. But what's it really saying? You break it down to philosophies and ideologies. The wisdom of God, it's pure, it's absolute, it's unadulterated. And it'll transform our lives and we find it within the pages of the Word of God. But the wisdom of this world is totally opposite from the wisdom of God. The wisdom of this world, according to James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, is both sensual and diabolical. Sensual, meaning it's rooted and grounded in the carnal nature. Sensual, the root word, the five senses, our naturalistic experience. And then it's diabolical. What does that mean? It's inspired by demons what the Bible has to say about the wisdom of this world. And so there's an admonishment by Paul the Apostle to young Timothy to be careful. And he's instructed in that first verse to make sure, or rather in the last verse that I read to you, prescribe and teach these things. It was acceptable then. Be careful. The Epicureans, for example, they came along with some wicked philosophies. Because the enemy was seeking, seeking to, to undermine the gospel truth that was being preached by either Jesus Christ, the disciples, or anybody else who was raised up during that time by the Holy Spirit to deliver the Word of God. There was an undermining that was taking place of the Word of God. If it was a reality then, how much more is this fitting for our generation today? Let me ask you, what does your faith look like? The Bible says, test your faith. He says, test yourselves to see if you are indeed in the faith. Now, I would believe with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength that everybody here this morning knows Jesus Christ. But where is your faith? This message is aimed at drawing your attention to the importance of the Word of God while also training ourselves to heed the Bible principle in Romans 1.17, the just should live by faith. That is at the heart of this one particular message. That one principle, that one verse, Romans 1.17, the just shall live by faith. Paul the Apostle, in a different passage, in one of his epistles, he says, I'm not sure where it is off the top of my head, maybe 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It says, the just shall live by faith and not by, and not by sight. I looked up that Greek word, and it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the naked eye or natural perception. It has everything to do with philosophies or ideologies, the values, the things that we choose to live by from this naturalistic worldview or this naturalistic experience that you and I have on a daily basis. In other words, do not live according to the wisdom of this world. Live according to the wisdom of God. The context in this one particular passage is that there's a falling away that is taking place because of deception. Look at verse 2 in your text, please. There's a flow of ignorant information that's taking place. Verse 2, there's a clause. Hypocrisy of liars. Verse 3, forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods. Verse 4, <clears throat> it says nothing is to be rejected or denounced. And all of these operative terms refer to the giving or receiving of information. 
In other words, it could be said that it could be said that the Bible supports the idea that not only is our worldview shaped by the information that we take in on a regular basis, but so is our behavior and our lifestyle. Paul the apostle was was encouraging young Timothy to be careful with bad information, to be careful with the information that would only serve to compromise or undermine the word of the living God. Because when we take in that information, what becomes of us? Not that we can. The Bible says that, that, that heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will never pass away. So from God's perspective, His word is whole. It's complete and cannot be compromised. But when we absorb it, When we take it in and we choose to live according to it, the philosophies that we choose to embrace this side of heaven that are tainted by the enemy himself actually bring about a compromise in our lives. And that is the context of this one particular passage. And as God's people, we need to be careful with the information that we're taking in. We need to be careful. So essentially, Paul was exhorting young Timothy to shepherd his flock while making an emphasis on biblical principle. Point number one, the next slide. Point number one, we need to be rooted and grounded in the faith. Look at verse six in your text, please. Rooted and grounded in the faith. It says, pointing out these things to the brethren would have allowed, these are my words that I'm inserting, pointing out these things to the brethren would have allowed Timothy to be, quote, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine. The possessor of the word of God today will have his faith nourished according to the will of God. What becomes of us when we fail to live out the Word of God? I want to read a passage to you here. And it's taken from Colossians chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. And listen carefully to this one passage, because it makes a powerful point. It says, and this I say, Colossians chapter 2, 4 through 8. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, rejoicing and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, And established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. Following the tradition of men according to the rudiments of the world and not in accordance to Christ. You see the admonition that is presented to us there? In that one particular passage, it, has to, it says, Be careful, don't allow anyone to beguile you with enticing words. You have to remain steadfast in your faith, rooted and built up in the faith. Beware of philosophy and vain deceit, not accordance with Christ Jesus. Beloved, it is possible for you and I to possess today an authentic faith. To actually be saved today. And yet to be listening to voices that are only serving to undermine the Word of God within us. So that that at the end of the day, you and I are not living according to the will of God for our lives. How many here believe this morning that God has a purpose for your life? How many believe it? That's almost every single one of us. Some of us are not convinced. But God has a plan for our lives. Jeremiah 29, 11, One of my favorite passages in the Bible. I have a lot of favorite passages, don't I? 
Jeremiah 29, 11. It should be your favorite as well. For I know the plans that I have for you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a hope and a future. God has a plan for His people today. But how is it that God chooses to accomplish His will? Because that's what that word plan refers to. How is it that God chooses to fulfill His will or His plan for our lives? Anybody? How does God choose to do that? Through the Word of God. Through the Word of God. So at the end of the day, what becomes of you and I if we are listening more or placing a premium emphasis on the philosophies or ideologies of this world and not according to the Word of God? Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. <clears throat> there are some benefits to the wisdom of this world. There are some benefits. It allows us to keep a track of time, for example. It allows us to go through the motions of our time here together with decency and in order. There is a place for it. So the emphasis is not to abstain from the, the wisdom of this world altogether. That's not the emphasis. The emphasis in this message by Paul the Apostle, inspired by the Holy Spirit to young Timothy, is to make sure there's a distinction between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of this world. So that in the end, we are governed by the wisdom of God and not by the wisdom of this world. Philosophy. Ideologies. Rooted and grounded in Satan's inspiration. That's why we have so many denominations this side of heaven today. The wisdom of this world. That's, how, that's why we have so many traditions and customs. So many isms, sophies, and ologies that are permeating in our churches all the time. We perpetuate a lot of worldly traditions in our churches today. None have to be mentioned here today. I think the point is clear. So the concept that, that Paul the Apostle presents in this passage is the same one that I'm simply trying to present to you here today. Paul was teaching Timothy to make the distinction, to make the necessary distinction between the Word of God and the wisdom of this world. Because ultimately, if I want to be pleasing to God, what is it that Jesus Christ said in John 4? He says there's going to come a time when true worshipers will come out. When true worshipers will worship the Father in Oh, wow, that was weak. That was this side. That's, a, that's the biblically oriented side right here in the front. Come on, let's try that one more time, people. Jesus said, the true worshiper shall worship him in spirit and in truth. God is the spirit. And we honor him when we acknowledge his word in our lives. We know what faith is, right? But did you know... That we place an emphasis on Hebrews 11.1 1, more than we do Hebrews 11.6. 11.6 says that without faith it is impossible to please God. Without faith it is impossible to please God. And that is the point. When you and I as believers this side of heaven, when we mingle our faith with the wisdom of this world, it brings about a compromise that doesn't allow us to fulfill God's purpose this side of heaven. It cripples, it handicaps us, or it shackles the Holy Spirit's work and His operation in our lives today. And God is looking over heaven's balcony, and He's wondering when God's people are going to introduce Him into the service. Did you know that? It's a reality. <clears throat> it's a generalization. But it is so true for our times. It is so true for our time. Think of this, for example. Jesus Christ was placing an emphasis in the parable of the sower. How many are familiar with the parable of the sower in the Gospels? The sower is going out and he's sowing seeds here, there, and everywhere, right? And some... <clears throat> Man, I can't believe it. Out of all times, I got the <clears throat> bug. Jesus 
in the parable of the sower, he says that a sower went forth to sow, and he planted some, some among thorns. And it says, it uses the word, the cares. It's the cares of this world choked the word, and he became unfruitful. The cares of this world. I looked up that word in the Greek, and it means to divide, <clears throat> to disunite, to separate into parts. Get this. To separate into parts through the idea of distraction. To separate into parts through the idea of distraction. Therefore, the person who possesses the Word of God, that actually represents the thorns, the seed that fell among thorns, is the individual who possesses the Word of God, but is highly distracted by the wisdom of this world. That's essentially what Jesus Christ was telling us in that one particular section in that parable. <clears throat> Point number two. Unraveling this present culture. Unraveling this present culture. Let me ask you this. If we were to systematically... Evaluate the culture that governs society today. What will we discover? If we were to systematically evaluate the culture today, what will we discover? It's a relevant question because we're talking about making a distinction between the Word of God, the gospel truth, and the wisdom of this world. The distinction has to be made because as God's people, we need to avoid that ultimate influence by the wisdom of this world. We need to be aware of it. So, <clears throat> what will we find? Here's a list of um, some of the ideologies that we'll find if we evaluate the culture of this world. Some of the things that we need to be vigilant. First Peter 5.8 Be sober. Be vigilant. Because the adversary of the devil, like a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. So you and I are living in an... In, we, we, are, we are involved, whether we realize it or not, in this culture today, in information warfare. Psyops. Information warfare that is taking place. The first ideology that I wanted to present to you, I believe it was David... Uh, good one to mention it this morning in class, in prayer class. Secular humanism. How many ever heard of that phrase before? Secular humanism. Humanism with regard in particular to the belief that humanity is capable of morality and self-fulfillment without a belief in God. Society without religion, in other words. And secular humanism permeates society almost completely, more so here in California than almost anywhere else. Secular humanism. It fosters the spirit of atheism within us. It causes us to denounce the principles that we become acquainted with according to the Word of God. Slowly but surely, the spirit of secular humanism makes us insensitive to the voice of of God. I'm a parent. How many parents in this room today? Let me see your hand. How many parents? How many things could you list that actually serve to create a rift between you and your children with regard to your voice? My, my, my child, I can turn the lights off. It could be pitch black in this room. I could be someplace, some remote part in this world, and, and if I were just to speak out and my children were present, they'd be able to make out my voice from among the voice of thousands of people because my children are acquainted with my voice. But, but you see, there's a limitation because the older I get, the more my voice changes. And if we are apart... If you and I are apart long enough from our children, eventually, eventually they may struggle to make out our voice from the next ones, from the next persons. 
It's just a fact of life. And secular humanism, Satan uses it in society today to dole our hearing so that ultimately we become totally and completely insensitive to the voice of God. How about this one? The voice of evolution. Primarily presented to the world by Charles Darwin. The theory that we came from a blast in space and that all life evolved from a single cell organism. Did you know that Darwinianism or evolution was debunked at least two decades ago? Did you know that? And yet the information hasn't been changed in our textbooks. The information is still being presented to our young people. And our young people are absorbing it like there's no tomorrow as if it's gospel truth. And there are many elements of evolution that you and I have come to embrace as well. Perhaps not in this one particular church, but there are a lot of churches that believe in an, in an old earth. That just the Bible just doesn't support that. An old earth. That the earth is actually millions of years old. There are even churches that believe in a pre-Adamite world. How many ever heard of that before? A pre-Adamite world. That somewhere between Genesis 1a and Genesis 1, Genesis 1-1a and Genesis 1-1b, there was a pre-Adamite world. And yet there's no support for that in the Word of God. The point is that the church is embracing ideas that the Bible doesn't support. That's, that's the point. How about modernism? Modernism, late 19th and early 20th century. Friedrich, Frederick, how do you pronounce it? Friedrich Nietzsche. Nietzsche, is that right? Nietzsche or Samuel Beckett or the poet Ezra Pound. They really pounded that ideology in society back then. And it still exists around us today. Modernism. That's when all hell began to truly break loose in society. And society began to sort of reject the voice of religion. That's when society began, especially here in this Western culture, we don't want anything to do with the, with the things that pertain to God. And society began to evolve, in other words. And progressivism became a reality in society. And it still permeates society today. Progressivism. See, she agrees. It's just something that we should be regurgitating. She, she agrees. How about postmodernism in the 50s, 60s, and the 70s? How many, how many hippies in the house today? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Postmodernism. Well, postmodernism is just modernism on steroids. And it's a move to, 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 to sort of drag society further and further away from Judeo-Christian values. Postmodernism has its way. There will be no religion in society very soon. How about hedonism? The pursuit of pleasure. It exists in society today. These are voices that we have to be careful of. How about idealism? That thought is the only reality. Idealism. That thought is the only reality. How about materialism? That matter is the only reality. And so there are lots of people that are governed by this naturalistic worldview. Because if I can't see it, then it doesn't exist. It's just not real. Or if I can't think it, then it's not real. Idealism. Imagine that. How about rationalism? Reason is the basis for regulating conduct. That reason is the basis for regulating conduct. We've adopted a mixture of these ideologies in our lives. Reason is not the means by which I should be, be governing or regulating my conduct. Not reason, but the truth of the Word of God. This is the standard of my life. Well, not this. This is just a tablet, right? 
But the, but the Word of God that we're preaching, that we're talking about, the standard of truth is the means by which you and I, as God's people, should be governing our lives. I got a friend who lives out here. Most of you have met him. I'm not going to say his name because it's not relevant. But I got a friend who has um, two bachelors. Back east in Philadelphia, he was one of my young people in the Bible study class. And I, on any given Sunday, because I started English services in a Spanish church, and on any, any given Sunday, I could have used him to make a difference. Used him in the service, in any part of the service. It's not the case anymore. Because he went off to college, and the philosophies that he absorbed, the ideologies that he absorbed, filtered faith out of him and it, and it hurts my heart one time in August when I came out here he came out to the park remember Ron he came out to the park event and I didn't know and so I brought up faith I brought up Jesus and his hands went up he says don't, don't do it because I don't want to hear about it it's as if he hit me with a ton of bricks. He, you talk about a sucker punch? The point that Paul the Apostle was making was real then, and it's real today. Many of us are influenced by the wisdom of this world. We governed our experience here on Sundays. In large part, by the wisdom of this world. Consider the concept professionalism for just a moment. Professionalism. Where everything has to be done right in a certain way. And we allow ourselves to be governed by that more than the reality that we should be governed by when we come to church. I'm coming to church today with my heart and my mind open, and I'm going to worship my God in spirit and in truth. And I'm not going to allow myself to be governed by some ism, some sophie, or some ology. You see the distinction that we should be making? And again, I said it once, I said it twice, I said it again. There are some benefits, but we ought not to be governing our lives according to them. Use them. Don't allow them to abuse you. We come to church and we go through the motions. And we miss God. Think in terms of what happened 2,000 plus years ago. When Jesus showed up on the scene. The creator of the world. He shows up. And in spite of the fact that society then had the Word of God with them, they possessed the Word of God, Jesus shows up and He walks among them, and they missed Him. They missed Him. Why is it that He needed an introduction? Now, there was an emphasis in that introduction, and it was necessary, Right? He publicized his arrival. Okay, I'm here at whatever age, at the age of 30. But he was present long before then. Mary heard those words from the angel's mouth regarding the child. Before the child was even born. Society had the, 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 the God-man. The God-man walking among them. And for the most part, they missed him because of their arterial motives. His miracles drew thousands upon thousands. And yet, not everybody who came approached him with a sound motivation. Not everybody did. They wanted to use him, some of them, to sort of come out from underneath the bondage of the Romans, the yoke of the Romans, the Roman Empire. Revolution. We want revolution. Others want it physical gain. 
Some wanted a miracle, and that's all they wanted. And very few accepted Him as the Christ, as the Messiah. For the most part, they missed Him. And guess what? If Jesus Christ walked among us today, not here in His church, but if He walked among us today in society, how many would actually recognize Him? You see, the point is that you cannot recognize Jesus from the naturalistic worldview. You just can't. The Bible gives us a description in the Old Testament, but it's regarding His work, regarding His essence, His, His, His identity as, as the Christ, as the Messiah, not physical description. And yet because our hearts are not always where they ought to be, we miss Him. Jesus shows up in our service, and we miss Him sometimes because of our limited worldview, governed by the wisdom of this world. In more ways than we care to acknowledge, How about, I know I'm going to get some emails about this one, boy. How about psychology? The voice of psychology that, as far as I'm concerned, is rooted and grounded in secular humanism. There is no voice of religion in psychology. Someone once put it this way. Psychology is westernized Eastern mysticism. And I looked, at, I looked that up one time and I read a book on it. Psychology. Westernized Eastern mysticism. And I learned for myself that all the philosophies and ideologies that make up psychology are the same in Eastern mystic religions. Namely, Hinduism and Buddhism. The philosophies are identical. Psychology is Hinduism with a facelift. How about spiritualism? Which is paganism. It's just another word for paganism. Spiritual, spiritualism. A movement that involves witchcraft, idolatry, astrology. There is no standard of truth in those ideologies. My father served the enemy of our souls all of his life until the end. He was involved with Santaria all of his days. It's spiritualism. How about this one that exists in our churches? Ecumenicalism. A movement that involves the collaboration and unification of the world's different faiths. This past week, I went to the mayor's prayer breakfast. We had a wonderful time because for the most part, um, the people that were present were pastors here in Norwalk. I mean, it was a packed room. But the actual priest from the Hindu temple was actually present there as well. And at least two Catholic priests were present there. And some other faith were present. And I was waiting. I was on my... Guard, and I was ready to walk out of that place if I had heard anything along the lines of ecumenicalism. It never happened. So she's just garnering support from the representatives of the township. But the moment, and I'm going to continue to go to them, but the moment they start to talk about presenting the idea of unifying our faiths or any language along the lines of that all faiths, that all roads lead to heaven, I'm out of there. Because it's not true. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And yet ecumenicalism is alive and well, and well in Christianity today. Just listen out for it, and you will hear it. Listen out for it. How about this one? i got to close soon. Sectarianism. Sectarianism. 
a dividing effect upon a community due to an emphasis on what man believes concerning the Scriptures as opposed to what God actually wants us to understand. You see the difference between the two. The division, in effect, is caused by the varying philosophies that are accepted within that community. Sectarianism. Sectarianism is the ideology that's rooted in the divisions. You remember that, 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 that picture that we had in the beginning? With the split right down the middle? Denominationalism is rooted in sectarianism. These ideals are present in the church today. The last point, i got to move quickly through these. I'm looking at the time. Point number three, our proclamation or our ambition and lifestyle is to be Christ-centered. Our proclamation, the things that come out of our mouths, our ambition, the dreams that we have, the ambition that we have, the drive that we have, and our lifestyle, these things should be Christ-centered and not rooted and grounded in the philosophies of this world. The Bible says that we need to examine ourselves to see if we indeed are in the faith. Examine yourselves. How about this, this one? 1 Corinthians 2.2 2, When Paul the Apostle was speaking to the church of Corinth, he says, I determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He made a point of going before them and making that powerful, bold declaration. In my life, it's all about Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, Paul the Apostle was saying, but Christ and Him crucified, and that's it. I don't want anything else. Christ and Him crucified. How about Galatians 2.20, this proclamation that Paul the Apostle made. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Is that your proclamation today? If not, I encourage you to make it so. How about Matthew 6.33? It says, Seek you first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. And all of these things shall be added unto you. That's a special verse. You could preach a million sermons on that verse. It says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And the context of that passage, Jesus Christ was talking about the, the, not to worry or um, the cares of this world. And he says, in closing out that chapter, he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Do not make the effort of applying the wisdom of this world to your lives in order to gain some of these things that you're striving for, some of these things that you want, these things that you lack, these ignorant spots in your life. Seek me first. I'm the one who's going to fill those voids in your life. Allow my truth, allow my word to fill those gaps in your life. Do not adopt the wisdom of this world, and allow yourself to be governed by them. Seek you first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. How about this one? Romans 8.14 For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. In other words, there's clearly a distinction between the believer and the unbeliever, right? Because the unbeliever doesn't possess the Spirit of God, the indwelling of the Spirit of God. Therefore, the unbeliever is not led by the Spirit of God. You and I who are Christians, we are led by the Spirit of God. At least we ought to be led by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is able to accomplish His work in our lives when we yield our mental faculties, our spiritual mind, to the Word of God. How about this one? 2 Corinthians 13.5. The one that I cited a couple of times already. It says, Test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. 
Last, last verse, 2 Timothy 2.15. It says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It says, study to show yourself approved. Approved. Not so that you can go and preach. Study yourself, study to show yourself approved. It's about our obedience to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It ties in with John chapter 4, worshiping our Heavenly Father in spirit and in truth. In order to do so, we have to study the Word of God. In order to do so, we have to study the Word of God. I want you to bow your heads this morning. Bow your heads. Nobody looking around, please. Bow your heads. There's somebody here today that needs to reconcile himself or to reconcile reconcile himself or herself to Jesus Christ here this morning. Somebody here needs to make a commitment to the Word of God. You've been struggling as a believer and you haven't been able to figure out why. You haven't been growing in your faith. You haven't been developing in your faith. It's been a year. It's been two years. There's been a considerable amount of time that has passed and you're wondering when is God going to show up in your life? You have given yourself over to God. You know that you know that you know that you have covered your bases in that regard, but you're wondering when God is going to show up and break out in your life. I'm here to tell you this morning that it's never going to happen Outside of a devotion to the Word of God. It's never going to happen outside of a devotion to the Word of God. It's not going to happen any other way. Coming to church is not going to make it happen. Listening to me preach is not going to make it happen. It's a part of it. But ultimately, you must commit your heart and your life to studying the Word of God. Especially so that you can make sure that you are not deceived at the end of the day. If that is you, I want you to pray a prayer with me. You can do it in your heart. You can stand. You can raise your hand. You can do it however you want to do it. But pray a prayer with me this morning. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe in you today. And I have committed my life to you. I love you, Jesus. And I want to have an encounter with you. And today I understand that I have to be vigilant. And that I have to devote myself to studying your word. Because your word is life. I want to be renewed today, Lord Jesus. And I want to be strengthened today, Lord Jesus. And I want you to do it today in my life through your voice, through your word. I want to become sensitive to your word today, Lord Jesus. And insensitive to the voice of reason. Insensitive to the voice of idealism or materialism. I want to be insensitive to the voices of this world. And sensitive to your voice. You are my shepherd, and I am your sheep. Lead me, Lord Jesus, and I will follow. Today I declare that I will follow you through your word. Father, we thank you today. We thank you for your presence in our service. Father, we thank you for allowing us to come like this. We thank you for breathing life into us this morning, Heavenly Father. 
And I thank you for making the distinction today. It's a difficult message to receive because it's one that we're not used to hearing. But yet the Bible, Father, you teach us in your word that we have to be careful that there is such a thing as the wisdom of this world. Just like we know there is such a thing as the wisdom of God. We love you today, Lord Jesus. And we've always loved your word. But today we stand before you, Lord God, and we want to become more acquainted with this information warfare that's taking place around us on a daily basis. So that at the end of the day, we may remain standing and not among those who fall away from the faith. By way of paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. We thank you so much for the Bible and that we possess it today. And as a church, Heavenly Father, we commit ourselves to studying the Word of God. We commit ourselves to you, Lord God. We want you to scrutinize us today through the Word of God. Invade our space through the Word of God. We want you to dictate. I want you to coerce me and to compel me by way of your word today, Lord God. And please convict my heart and help me to examine myself, Father, so that I'm not governed by the things of this world. Because I truly want to follow you, Lord Jesus. I pray that you bless your people here today, Lord God, as we prepare to go our separate ways. I pray that you bless the meals that we are about to eat, Lord God, in our own homes or restaurants. Father, I pray that you bless your people here today as they go. There are some among us, Lord God, that are sick. At least one that I know of, Lord God, that is struggling with cancer. We pray for that individual or those individuals. For George Miller, for Eileen, Lord God who both have recently undergone knee surgery. Father, they need you in their lives during this time. For those who are struggling with any other sickness or illness, Father, we pray for them and we bring them before you in the name of Jesus Christ. For those perhaps among us who do not know you personally, Father, I pray that if there is someone among us like that, that he or she may just simply pray a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for me. That you were buried for me. And that you rose again for me on the third day. I believe that you are Lord and Savior. Please forgive my sin and come into my life. Come into my heart. And consume me completely. And give me the strength I need to follow you all the days of my life. Father, I pray that somebody prayed a prayer like that today. And if someone did, I pray that you bless that person. And that someone here, if not me, someone here may hear about that immediately after the service. Father, bless your people as we go. And we thank you so much. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen. one more time, God's people say, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.